Okay, and welcome to the show. This upload is coming to you May 3rd, 2017, and you're listening to the Post Money Plan podcast at postmoneyplan.com, where we believe empowerment comes through knowledge. Today, we're going to be talking about the potential of installing a residential solar panel power system in your home and some of the details associated with that. So I have Larry Post on the show with me who has experience of installing a solar panel system in his home and has had it running for about two years now. Welcome to the show, Larry. Hi, how are you? Good. So let's just jump right into it. Well, actually, could you tell us a little bit about your experience in deciding to get a solar panel system? Yeah, I moved into the house and uh, the house had an existing geothermal system in it, but my power bills seemed to be significantly higher than I expected. And the local power company did not seem to be flexible or willing to provide me with information. And I started looking at options that were available to me. And I heard about solar power getting a direct 30% credit from the federal government. And that enticed me to investigate further. And when I did, I found out that the state that I live in also allowed you to sell energy credits on a publicly traded market to get a little bit further recomp of your spending for a solar system. And then when I investigated further, I found that the warranties available through most of the suppliers for the equipment was very long term on the orders of 10 or 20 years compared to equipment I was used to that was warranted for 90 days or one year or five years. So that gave me more confidence in the system. And then when I saw that there were very few potential failures in terms of mechanical failures and uh, saw the reliability and found out that my solar supplier, in addition to my being able to monitor directly wired into my computer, my solar panel performance, both individually and collectively, that my supplier had an ongoing feedback in their system that told them not only what I was doing, but also if any failures of any of my equipment occurred. So that gave me further confidence to pursue it. And uh, I was lucky enough to get a rate that was satisfactory for me. So I installed what I believe to be a system that would provide me approximately one-third to one-half, based on what my supplier had told me, of my power usage that I'd seen to that point. And again, luckily for me, my solar supplier undersold the project. What I've actually seen in reality is about two-thirds of my power usage has been provided by solar, and that has enticed me to take another step where I am upgrading further now that I've had the system in operation for two years to an additional add-on to my solar system. And lo and behold, solar suppliers have made their panels more efficient. Now, with essentially the same panel size that I had in my original system, I can get a further 25% increase in power rating on a per panel basis so I can get more power for less panels than I had before. And one of the many surprises that I've discovered is that I can actually, my state has a two-part power system. 
a power company that actually sells you the power and then a distribution facility or transmission facility that actually does your billing. So about two-thirds of your bill is the actual power producer and one-third of your bill is the billing agency. And those two may or may not be the same company. What I found out in my state is that if you go with, as your power provider, the transmission or distribution company, that they will buy back the excess power that you produce so you can actually have a third source of income from your solar system. The first being the 30% credit from the federal government. That's a direct credit, not a deduction, an actual credit. So that means dollar for dollar. The second part being the sale on the open market of your energy credits. And now this third option of actually selling power back to the electricity provider billing agency. All right. How about let's go all the way back to the beginning of the basics in terms of what are the different power options that people have for their homes? Okay. Well, let's start simplistically at first. The ones that everybody knows. Throughout the country, electricity is the standby. Then options off of that, you can have mostly limited to the northeastern U.S., but you can have oil heat. Another option that you can have, again, more in the east and the mid-Atlantic, is propane heat. And then a large portion of the country, natural gas. And each of those steps tend to be a less costly and a cleaner fuel in terms of ozone and other environmental gas affecting items. Then you can step up to geothermal, as I've already mentioned, that was in my house when I purchased it. And that in and of itself provides some benefits, but it also has some hidden cost to it in that it requires some regular form of maintenance to make sure that it doesn't get out of adjustment. You lose efficiency and your energy usage can skyrocket if your geothermal is not maintained in proper balance. Then some more traditional ones that everyone knows, you can have hydroelectric which is basically just using gravity to your benefit. Use water in some manner or fashion to drop vertically and use that force of the dropping water to produce electricity through the vertical drop of the water. Then the other ones that everybody's familiar with are wind energy. And of course, when we think of those, typically we think of the big wind farms out in California or other locations, but those have some limitations. They're great big typically not affordable by the normal consumer, and you must have a certain minimum wind, but also surprisingly, you must have a certain maximum wind for the operating range for those. Solar, on the other hand, for the most part, is more of a passive facility, so it does not typically have moving parts or lots of potential failures. There is an option off of that. I don't want to mislead people. There's a, an advancement to solar which involves a significant bump up in the cost of your solar system, but you can have a solar system that is set up to track the sun, and so it moves throughout the day and time of the year to optimize the solar gathering capacity of your system. It is more efficient than a normal roof or ground-mounted solar system, 
but it also is more costly. And because it tracks and moves with the sun, that's another device that could potentially fail. Our system, stage one of my personal system, was located on the roofs of some garages that I have. And so, unfortunately, the available space on most of mine are facing east or west and not north and south. The ideal location for solar panels is primarily a south-facing panel. Because we're in the northern hemisphere and the the sun is pointing most directly south-facing. Try to optimize the direct exposure of the sun. And again, the sun, depending upon where you live and what time of year, might come up or peak over the horizon an hour or two before it's fully exposed. When we as people think that, we think of, the, oh, that's solar gathering time. Well, it's not really. It's very minimal. There's a narrow range from about 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock in the morning until about 3, 4 o'clock in the afternoon where the vast majority of your solar power is gathered. Anyway, with this second stage of my panels, I'm going to a ground mount system and it will all be facing directly south. So in addition to a more efficient, improved technology two years later, they will also receive the benefits of being located in the optimal directions for the maximum sun gathering for a fixed system. And uh, there are other more exotic forms of, you know, biomass and other energy gathering, but those are a little further into the future before they become more commercially available for the average individual. Okay, so then in terms of what we use power for in our homes, let's just summarize in terms of what do we use power for in our homes? Okay, well, the obvious part that everybody thinks of first thing is light. And light is a user, and particularly just by sheer numbers of lights that you might have at various locations throughout your house. But on a single item basis, they are relatively small compared to a few specialty items, like, for example, a water pump for a swimming pool or space heaters, air conditioners. Water heaters is another big user So those are the things that may surprise a few people in terms of where their energy is being spent, for want of a better phrase. Yeah, according to the EIA, over 40% of the average household's electricity consumption is coming from space heating. So that's really the big chunk of your energy consumption through a space heater and then other just miscellaneous electronics and appliances that you're using throughout the house. Think of your refrigerator that's plugged in and freezing things all the time. And then a water heater to have hot water in your shower. Those are the major things that are consuming all the electricity in your house. So if you have a solar panel system, what can that power in your house? Basically anything and everything. You have some initial cost involved where you're basically, your house is typically set up only to receive power not to send power back or to use power by yourself. Because most people are plugged into the utility grid? Correct. With the addition of a solar system, you have more diverse options. You can take power from the power company, but you can produce and use it yourself. And you have the third option where you can produce power and send it back to the utility company. 
and that can be in the form of an actual payment to you or a credit on future bills. So then just to give people a sense of what the normal amount of energy consumption is, the EIA says that the average annual electricity consumption for a U.S. residential utility customer in 2015 was 10,800 kilowatt hours a year, which is about 900 kilowatt hours per month. Yeah, and by you saying that has keyed into me to refresh my memory on what has driven me toward solar to begin with. As I told you, when I bought the house, it already had geothermal system in it. Our first year here, I had a fairly large user house compared to the average, and we had a normal base of about twice the average we had seen for a couple of years. And then without our knowing it, because we were not familiar with geothermal systems, our geothermal got out of balance and our consumption doubled. So I was basically consuming about six times what the average family was consuming. Not only was that wasting power, which wasn't something that I was thrilled about to begin with, But as you might expect, it was making outrageously large electric bills. We made the steps to move toward the solar system and eventually got our geothermal back in line. But still, it has not stopped us from being happy with both our solar system, but also our ability to use modern technology to track it on a daily basis and see what it's going on. And if, in fact, there might have been, so far we haven't experienced any in our first two years of usage, but should there be any failures or impending misalignments, we would see them pop up on our our usage and supply. And by that, what I'm meaning by that, for example, depending upon where you are in the U.S., you're going to receive snow various times throughout the year for various amounts of time. And when you receive, let's say in an average year, you might receive five snows of any consequence. Well, maybe three of those, the snow is such that it doesn't snow one day and warm up the next. It snows and stays cold. When it snows and stays cold, the snow stays on the panels. And I found out from my solar supplier that there is a tool available a little rubber scraper, if you will, on an extended reach facility. So you can reach from the ground all the way to your roof and you can pull off without damaging your panels, the snow. And instead of losing power for 10 days or eight days while you're snow covered and waiting for the snow to clear off your panels, instead you lose it for an hour or two before you clean it off. And you have just saved yourself a lot of money or perhaps made yourself some money, depending upon where you are relative to your consumption. So just to restate that, the Energy Information Administration, or EIA, estimates that the average annual electricity consumption for a U.S. residential utility customer in 2015 was 10,800 kilowatt hours a year or 900 kilowatt hours a month. Also, the average U.S. power price across the country was $0.12 per kilowatt hour. So if you take those two numbers together, that implies that the average utility bill was about $110 a month on electricity costs, which is, again, about $1,300 a year. 
that just gives you some financial perspective on some of the costs in terms of electricity. So then let's talk about first how much a solar panel system could produce in terms of electricity, and then we can go on in terms of the cost and, and what it could potentially save you. So in terms of what it could produce, that's obviously going to be a function, right, of solar cell efficiency and solar panel size and the amount of sunlight that's directly hitting the panels, like you mentioned, whether they're south-facing or north-facing or west-facing, because you're going to get the most south-facing in the northern hemisphere. Solar panels have what's called a max power rating, which is telling you how much they're supposed to produce in peak conditions. So that gives you an estimate of their maximum production capacity. And so the typical measure on solar panels that are out now is somewhere in a range between 200 and 400 watts. Yeah, our experience here, and again, I think ours is not the optimum condition by any measure. So our system has produced 24 kilowatt hours per panel per month. And again, basically, if you want more power, you put in more panels. You can also increase it by taking a motorized unit or by making sure that they're all south-facing. In my case, for example, I'm right near the woods, so I'm, I lose some early and late production because of shadows from the trees. All of those can be made enhancements over what I've seen. Guess what I'm really saying is I don't think I have the optimal, and yet I've seen significant results that I'm more than pleased with. Okay, and then in terms of the cost to install a solar panel system, the average across the country is apparently about $3.35 per watt to install, which based on the average system that's installed, we're talking about $16,800 in total installation cost for a solar panel system before tax credits. And like you mentioned before, the government offers a 30% tax credit. So that would equate to about $12,000 after the tax credit for the average solar panel system. So then bring us back to some of the details on things and ways you're saving money potentially once you install a solar panel system. So tell us again about the tax subsidy. Okay. The biggest and most immediate impact is in the year that you install the system, you get a direct 30% reduction in the taxes that you owe to the federal government. 30% of the cost of the system. 30% of the total cost of the system. So, for example, if your system costs you $10,000, that means that you have gotten a $3,000 return from the government in the taxes that you would have otherwise paid. So if you would have paid $3,000 in total, you get it all back. That's a direct $3,000 back to your pocket. And that's a federal tax credit that's called the Solar Investment Tax Credit. Correct. And then the state in which I live allows you to take your energy credits, which you accumulate for every megawatt you produce, and sell those on a market just like the stock market where it is traded from one firm to the other at a market price, and that market price can vary, and you get the money from that. But that's on a state-by-state -state basis. That's on a state-by-state -state basis. I do not believe that all states do that. I think it's true of my state, and maybe other states have something different. But I do believe that they're probably comparable. 
at any rate, that price may vary that you get. But when your credits are sold, oh, okay. In my case, I have chosen to vend it out to a third party. They hold my credits and they choose the optimum time to sell them. And then they send me a check back when they sell them for the credits that are earned, less their fee. You can sell them direct yourself. You don't have to have a middleman. I've just chosen that because it's easy for me. And then the third part of the pie, which is partly exciting to me by this second addition to my solar system, I will be moving into an area where I will be producing more power than I consume. I can opt to sell it back to my power distribution facility at an actual cash money from them. Instead of paying the power company, you get money from the power company. And that's because in certain states, the utility companies are required to generate a certain amount of power from solar sources. And so then the utility company will then pay you for those credits. And they actually call those solar renewable energy certificates. And so they'll give you SREX. Yes, SREX is the shortened version. So if the average solar panel system is costing just a little under $17,000 to install or 12000 after tax, and the average home is consuming $1,300 a year of energy, if you were installing a system that covered all of your energy, that'd still take you almost 10 years to recoup your costs. But then it's essentially you're operating for free in terms of electricity? That and the other parts, remember, you have left out two pieces of the pie in that analysis. You're not including the payback that you get for your SRECs, and you're also not including the potential payback from excess production. In other words, you use, for example, $1,300 worth of power, but if you produce $1,500 worth of power, you got $200 back in pay, direct pay, for the excess production. Okay, so... So your payback period is reduced by those other factors. In addition to the feel-good effects, part of the reason to do anything solar is also it makes you feel good because your CO2 production is dramatically reduced. Okay, so overall, you've had a solar panel system for two years, so it's still early on in the life cycle of owning such a system. But you're saying in your particular case, you feel like it's going to pay off nicely and you're you're happy with it, you're saying? Yes. In other words, when I did the original, I tend to be a numbers type guy, and when I did the initial calculations, I, it looked to me like it was going to be about 10 years or more before I got a payback on my initial investment, even though it would pay me for the rest of my life, I was from a business background where things should pay out much quicker than that. The pleasant surprise on installing the system was the performance has exceeded the expectations and it looks like they will only improve. So I expect a much improved payback versus what I was led to believe, plus the feel-good benefits of saving the environment. Just as a last thing, are there any things that you think people should watch out for if they are considering getting or installing a solar panel system that you've figured out? Well, I don't know enough about it, but at the time that I went with my original solar supplier, there were only legitimate businesses out there. 
I see on the market now solar supplier that seems to be offering a solar system with no first cost. And that seems to me I would be very leery and cautious about getting involved with someone or something like that. It's important that you're dealing with somebody who's straight up and honest and will be there to support you. The warranties, I'd say, are an important thing. Try to make sure that you're getting the optimum warranties because they are out there. Those can truly benefit you and make you rest easy that you haven't invested a whole lot of money with no safety net to protect you in case equipment fails. The safety net is out there and it has a long life. My personal take on it, though, is that all these things, you have to weigh your own personal situation and account for all the variables that are specific to you because something that works for one person isn't necessarily going to work for the other especially when it comes to the numbers and how things add up. Yeah, and I guess just to reinforce what you're leading about, my whole life I would not have considered solar simply because the first cost is high. By first cost, I mean simply the price that you pay your solar provider. The upfront cost. To Yes, to buy the equipment and install it and set it up for operation. But I made that leap of faith. And I am quite happy that I did it, as exemplified by my willingness to go to step two here and and move forward to further solar production. I believe it's not only is it a good thing for humanity and the planet, I think it's good economically and makes sound business sense over the long haul. Okay. Well, that pretty much covers everything that I wanted to touch base on. Oh. Just one more, and this is a little bit long-range speaking, but energy from any source has a limit. But the longest limited energy out there, and I mean limit in terms of time, is simply the sun. The sun is going to last a very long time, so that's one of the outstanding things about solar power. Oil may be more found or maybe not. Natural gas may be more found, maybe not. More people needing more consumption. It's not renewable. Well, solar power gets renewed every day when the sun comes up. Unless it's cloudy permanently. (laughs) Even when it's cloudy. Oh, that's one of the real pleasant surprises. The other day, it rained from the time I got up until the time I went to bed, and yet admittedly it was small, but there was about 10% of a good day in production. Somehow, all the solar energy still got through all that rain and clouds. And even on that miserable rainy day, we got about 10% of what we would get on a a nice sunny day. Okay. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show. You're welcome. I hope that maybe somebody can receive some benefit from this and uh, maybe some thoughts for them to consider for their own future. All right. So we'll catch you next time on another episode of the Post Money Plan Podcast. 